All I knew was, is that this is awesome what we're doing. You know, screw AOL, screw the man. I have nothing else to do. I'm gonna spend 10 hours a day doing this because I love it. I didn't feel bad making this program and just kind of basically going to war. I, I had just an intense hatred for AOL, for Toss Advisor, for the administrators, for Steve Case. They're gonna have to face the facts that AOL is a dirty machine and you know, there's, there's just scumbags on here and I'm just a kid fighting back against the man. your handle in the years you were active on AOL? My handle was Dechronic, and I was active on AOL as a hacker between 1994 and late 1995. Awesome. And when did you first start using computers? My first experience with computers was with uh, my sister's. She had a Tandy TRS-80 computer back in the early 80s, probably like 83 or 84. And, you know, she was really into computers back then. And that was my first experience. Uh, she's seven years older than I am. So, you know, she had a leg up on that. And uh, that's how I got started with that. And when did you first get on the internet? Like most people, AOL, um, that was my first experience with the internet itself. Back then, we didn't call it the internet. It was AOL. And then the internet was... <laughs> was kind of burgeoning in another place that didn't want anything to do with AOL. So we got started on the internet through, uh, let's see, so we ended up buying this computer. Well, we didn't really buy it. We, we rented it from Rent-A-Center because we, we were kind of poor and couldn't afford a computer. So my sister was able to rent one from Rent-A-Center for like $50 a week. And um, it was a very low-end computer. It had like one megabyte of RAM, didn't have a modem on it, didn't even have Windows. And so there was a whole ordeal in trying to even upgrade that computer to get to get it to be able to run AOL in the first place. Eventually, we did through all kinds of schemes. we were able to upgrade the computer, and then we got the AOL disk, like like most people, and, and we got uh, we got online. So, what were your impressions of AOL when you first got on it? Um, well, yeah, I mean that was the first experience of the internet. So, like most people, you're just amazed. You know, it's like. Wow, you can talk to people. They're not. They're not there with you. I mean, so I'm a I'm a Gen Xer. I'm a late Gen Xer. So I grew up in the '80s. We didn't have mobile phones. Didn't have any of this technology that we have today. So you know, you're jumping on the internet for the first time. I'm like 16 years old, and it was just an amazing experience, you know. And pretty soon, I found the hacker rooms. I think the first hacker-related stuff I saw in AOL was basically a public room. We, they'd have public rooms called Tricks, AOL Tricks. Basically, you would go in there and people would talk about like things you could do on AOL that you weren't really supposed to do, but they were kind of cool. The first thing I remember, like the first trick that I remember was, I think it was just called uh, IM interception or IM stealing. And basically, you know, you, you could basically steal all the IMs that were being sent on AOL at that one time by sending this 8-bit character through an IM that, that their coding couldn't handle. So, yeah, so I got into that. I got interested in the tricks and, and that kind of thing. And it all kind of snowballed from there. That's really cool. So you learned about the tricks uh, that folks could do through IMs. And what else did you see going on at AOL at that time? Like, was there anything concerning you with like, I guess the, because once you get enough people uh, in, in, in anything, right, that there's going to be people that are going to do things that uh, others aren't going to like, right? Sure. There was an aspect of AOL that I, that I didn't like. Of course, I was a teenager. I gravitated towards the teenage rooms and the hacker rooms, the, the tricks rooms back then, as they were called. And those were predominantly populated by younger people. I think there were a couple of maybe 20-year-olds or 25-year-olds in there. But I mean, it's all there were almost always teenagers in those rooms. But there was another side of AOL that, that I didn't like, particularly the authority and the way that they would shut down the, the tricks room and the hacker room. And of course, as most people know who've read the AOL help file or the text file, the readme file, they know that I wrote in there about how there was a double standard among the um, the treatment that the hackers would receive versus you know some of the other people on AOL that who would be doing bad things, but they would be left alone. So basically, you know, I had a mixed feeling about AOL. You know, I hated or, or disliked the authority structure on it. Corporations in general, I had a bad feeling about. But I liked the teenagers. I liked the hacker side of it and that kind of community. Yeah, definitely. So. 
When did you get into programming? So on my sister's TRS-80, back in those days, there wasn't any media that you could store programs on back then. They had tape recorders. You could basically record code on the tape through digital audio. Right. So through digital audio, you could record programs that you would write or you could you could purchase software that way. But we we didn't own one of those because that cost like another two hundred dollars and the computer was expensive enough. So we just had the basic computer and basically you had to write your programs every time you turned it on. So uh, as soon as you turned on the TRS-80, you know, if you wanted to do anything on it, you had to sit there and write 200 lines of code or however simple it was, 10 lines of code or whatever. Of course, if it was anything sophisticated you're going to sit there and spend probably an hour writing your code. I was too young to really understand a whole lot of it, what was going on in there. And the TRS-80s came with books, with software written on the pages. So it it would have the basic code listed on the pages. And so we would just basically just follow that code and we would write our programs every time we wanted to, to run a program on it. And so that was my first experience with programming. Eventually, we did get a tape recorder and we were able to store stuff and, and write custom things. And then there was a large gap between then and then when I got an AOL and actually started writing code. So can you talk a little bit about that? From what I can tell, you're using Visual Basic. Yeah, we're using Visual Basic. So in the rooms, there's kind of transition period between the, the tricks rooms that we had, let's say, in early 94 and then what became like this vast community that we know now or, you know, that came about years later. And uh, back when we started, there really wasn't any coding. There weren't any programs to, to perform tricks or to perform scrolling is really what most kids were interested in. You know, if you wanted to scroll a macro, uh, you wanted to scroll artwork in the chat room, you would use a macro program. And the, the most used one was called the Ghost Tools. And Ghost Tools was just this little tiny program on Windows 3.1. And you would load it up and have a little box for you to save your macros and record your macros. So you just record, you know, your scrolling on that. So, you know, that could, we could automate a couple of the tricks that we did using that, but it, it wasn't too sophisticated. And then I had this friend, Rizzer, he made a macro program in Visual Basic and he showed it to me. And what it did was it performed text manipulation. So back then on AOL 1.1, you were able to use another person's name in the chat room if you knew how to format the text correctly. So it was a trick that we always did, and you know we'd use macro programs for it. And he wrote a Visual Basic program that basically you know did that for you. All you had to do is type in the person's name that you wanted to manip and what you wanted them to say, and he clicked a button. And so he, I don't think he released it or anything. He just gave it out to a couple of friends, and he showed that to me. And I thought, whoa, this is this is awesome! Like, how did you make this? And he goes, something called Visual Basic, you know, and. At that time, the where scene on AOL was just at the very beginning. There really wasn't a whole lot of wares going on then. But one of the uploads that was being passed around was Visual Basic. And that's how he got a hold of it. And that's how I found it. So I found the, the mail that was being passed around in the, in the wares community, uh, a Visual Basic. You know, so, so I downloaded the pirated version. And I said, okay, this is a game changer. This is going to be awesome. We're going to create a program. It's going to have all the tricks. It's going to have all the things we do. And I thought, okay, well, what can we call it? Back then, the people that hated AOL on the internet had a nickname for it. They'd call it AOL. It was kind of like a derogatory name. <laughs> so I said, oh, that's a perfect name for it. We'll just call it AOL. And, you know, that's kind of like how all that started. Okay, so the first versions of it, was it just like you and Rizzer and a few people passing it around? Yeah, so it was it was me, Rizzer, and then there was two other guys, one guy called The Squirrel, and there was another guy called Dark Wizard. And Dark Wizard never wrote any code for us, but I sent him the code base for it. He kind of um, redid the interface for it and then took off all our names and left his name on there and then, and then released the program under his name with this new interface and all our code. Wow. And then I never heard of it again, and that was that guy. The Squirrel and the Wizard, they wrote a couple of features for it. At that time, I was not in high school, and I could devote my whole day to that. So I would spend 8, 10 hours a day just pumping out features for this thing. And so the first versions, yeah, it just had a couple of features. You know, I think the Squirrel, he wrote the the, the Drive Hell feature for it, which was, I don't know if you remember, I think AOL may have already changed by that point when you got on AOL. But one of the early tricks we could do is something called Drive Hell, or we, we named it Drive Hell. But basically what you would do is you'd format A colon, B colon into the chat room. And if you did it in the right way, it caused your A and B drives on your computer to, to start accessing. 
And if you did it really fast, basically it would cause everybody's computer in the chat room to just go haywire and just switch from A drive, B drive, and you'd hear the drives kick in. So, of course, we had floppy drives back then. And the reason why AOL implemented the feature that was exploited was because there was a, you basically you had a feature where you could play wave files, you could play wave sounds. Like if you remember, I don't know if you remember that, but you could play wave. So you'd do like a squiggly symbol S and then the name of the wave file and then it would play the wave file. But the way that it was done, you could actually put in the drive letter of that wave file and it would access whatever drive you told it to. So basically all you had to do is put this in the chat room and it would start accessing people's drives. So he wrote a, Squirrel wrote a feature for that. That was just one of the many tricks we did. And uh, Rizzer, he added macros to it. And that was the very primitive version of AOL 1.0. Was that like all in send keys or? Yeah, exactly. That was all send keys. So it was basically um, a glorified macro program at that time. And to me, though, that was the, one of the coolest things that we could we could do, you know. Interesting. So we did that for like a month. So that was, we, we wrote that in November of 94. And like I said, it, you know, it really wasn't much. And then something happened to the squirrel. I don't know what happened to him because people lose touch and all that stuff. Rizzer was still around and I'm like, okay, let's do AOL 2. We've got to go crazy with this. So my motivation behind it was I wanted to do something cool. I wanted to get back at AOL. So there was like a revenge factor, like I wrote in, that, in the readme file. And, you know, I didn't have a life outside of computers. And so this was my life. Like the community was my life. Uh, programming started to become my life as I learned how to program. And really, I wanted to grow the community. My vision was to create something really cool that would bring a lot of people in. I can't say that I foresaw what, ha what would happen later. Like this huge, huge community would end up coming out of it. I, I didn't. I didn't foresee that. But all I knew was, is that this is awesome what we're doing. You know, screw AOL, screw the man. I have nothing else to do. I'm going to spend 10 hours a day doing this because I love it. The, 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 the thing about it was, is that I became addicted to like coming up with like these new features that, that, you know, just, just pulling them out of a hat. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do this? Wouldn't it be cool to do that? So in version two, that's where I created the phishing component. Well, so with the fishing component, like at that time, were people just manually fishing or were people fishing at all? You know, I would say for certain that there wasn't a whole lot of fishing going on. By that point that I, I added that feature to the program, I had already been fishing manually for about a year with my, uh, my friend. As I, as I explained in my paper, there's a, there's a guy called Soul Crusher. And he showed me basically the tricks that he was using to, to get access to AOL for free. Uh, by stealing people's accounts, you know, basically conning them out of it. So yeah, you know, we had been doing that, but there weren't there weren't too many people fishing by the time we got to, you know, when, by the time I, I put that feature in AOL, that was that was something that really exploded after I added that. That that features the the automated fishing, right? Yeah, basically, yeah, it automated what we were doing manually. So um, that's right. So um, I guess for our listeners, briefly explain what what fishing is. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Phishing at its core is basically fraud, if you want to get down to the, the most basic definition. I mean, we all kind of understand what that is, what it means to trick somebody or to con somebody. I don't think there's anybody alive who hasn't had some kind of experience like that. And um, even children, you know, understand that concept. But when you move it over to computers, basically what it means is you're spamming multiple people, um, basically information that's not true in order to deceive them and receive something from them. So in our case, we would message people on AOL and try to deceive them into thinking that we were administrators and that we needed their password or we needed their credit card information. And uh, we were hoping that they didn't know any better and they would believe our story that we were these good guys who, you know, just lost your information temporarily. And we just, you know, in order to keep your account, we need to, you know, double check everything. And surprisingly, back then, a lot of people fell for it. And um, yeah, that's kind of what it is and kind of what we did. You know, back then, my mentality was, as you know, I'm, I'm 16, 17 years old, and, you know, I grew up poor, and, you know, I was barely able to stay on AOL. Like, you know, we'd use those 10 free hour disks. I think the first account that I made on there, I had a small checking account with like $50 in it, and, you know, I blew that $50, like, in the first couple of days being on AOL. And so my main goal at that point was how do I stay on this really cool thing, right, that I found, like, because I can't afford it. And so 
that's where I kept trying to find AOL discs. Back then, you had to buy a modem or buy a new video card, and you'd get a free AOL disc with it that came with 10 free hours. And so, you know, I would I would use that to get the discs. And when my friend showed me that about phishing and, and taking people's, you know, accounts, you know, my mentality back then was if you have a credit card, you're rich. So if you're, if you're on AOL and you're actually able to afford this place, you're rich. And therefore, I don't care, you know, if I use your account and I charge up your credit card. That was basically my mentality of it. And the same, you know, the same went with everything else. So, yeah, that was kind of the morality behind it. Um, I didn't really think about the, you know, the consequences very much as far as for other people, you know, for myself, you know, I did a pretty decent job of trying to keep in my anonymity and, and, and keeping myself protected and, and that kind of thing. But in my eyes, you know, if you were on AOL, you're either some kind of sexual deviant, you were rich because you had a credit card and you could afford it anyway. So I didn't care if I, if I basically screwed you over. You know, and it, half the people on AOL are scumbags. It was, it was my opinion. So I didn't feel bad making this program, automating this, this stuff and, and just kind of basically going to war in a certain sense against AOL and their, their people on there that I didn't like. Um, so in a nutshell, that was kind of like, you know, my mentality. As time went on, I, I wouldn't say matured because I, at the core, I'm the same person. It's just I I don't look at it like that. I'm still anti-authoritarian in the sense, you know, I'm still kind of anti-capitalism in a sense. But I don't think that phishing is a good thing, right? Like in the general sense, it's not. I mean, when I think about the fact that a grandmother who doesn't have a lot of money gets fished and now she can't afford to feed herself or buy Christmas gifts for her grandkid or something like that. I mean, real people were affected by that. And I didn't think about that, or I didn't allow myself to think about that at the time, which is why I did what was basically kind of like a psychopathic thing in, in creating that program in, in some sense, in, in some perspective. Right. So like, I mean, the, the program, it made it very easy, right, to, to fish whole chat rooms and uh, obviously a number of other things. It, it is interesting to look back at it now, especially like, you know, with like your parents or something get fished and you're just like, why would you click that link? Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's tough. It's tough to see those kind of things. But back then it was like, well, we're just, you know, getting all the passwords from the pedos and like, um, you know, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting that way. So the second version was around AOL, you said two or what version was that? Yeah, so in AOL version two, I put in a bunch of new features, uh, phishing. Rizzer, uh, he added a, a couple of features. He was pretty much busy with school, and I guess he was going to go to college and all those kinds of things, and I didn't really have anything else to do. So I wrote the majority of the code and the interface and the documentation and, and, and things. But Rizzer uh, really contributed a lot in the credit card generation algorithm that he wrote that we use for Credit Wizard and we used and that I use later for the fake account creator, which would create fake accounts. So back then, if you wanted a free AOL account, we would use something called Seamaster, which was basically a credit card number generator. And it was for DOS, if you can believe that. It wasn't, there was no Windows credit card generator back then. So we would just load up Seamaster, it would print out a credit card number, and then we'd make up some phone number or make up an address, make up a name, and then we'd have a free account for 10 hours or before, you know, by the time AOL would shut it down. And back then, AOL didn't verify any credit card information. All AOL did was verify that the checksum on the credit card number was valid. And that's how they determined whether they're going to let you online or not. And so back then, we didn't know the difference, what that even meant. We just knew we needed a valid credit card number and Seamaster was spitting these things out. And so Rizzer, he found the the algorithm. Like, uh, So there was a news group called Alt 2600 for the 2600 hacker group. And then one of the postings on there would kind of like explain what the... Um, what is it called? The, the, the LUN algorithm or the, the 10, uh, mod 10 algorithm, which is the checksum algorithm. And they just explained in detail, you, you know, you add three here, add two here. And if this has to be an even number and then you subtract this, whatever it is, and then you have the checksum. So Rizzer got that post and in the code, he pasted that post of all 2600 and he used that to write visual basic code to basically do the checksum and generate numbers. So you still needed prefixes for, for the credit cards. Like, you know, banks would have their own four-digit prefix for that. So he took Seamaster's uh, list of credit cards. Seamaster included like a hundred list, uh, a list of hundred banks. He took that and added that, and then he created the little code generator, credit card number generator. And I thought, okay, that's awesome. We're going to add an info generator to this, and we're going to be able to 
extrapolate and have this fucking awesome interface. We're going to document it, have an installation program. I mean, this is going to be a full-fledged, you know, program that people are going to use. It's going to be better than Seamaster. It's going to be for Windows and, you know, it's going to be easy to use. So RZA writing that algorithm was was really, really important to, to that side of things. Whereas the other features that I wrote, like phishing and, and the majority of the program really was mostly macro-based. I really didn't have the understanding of code to really even write something like an algorithm. RZA was very much um, kind of like a technical kind of algorithm kind of guy. He was very interested in doing code and learning what code is and how to code correctly and, and write that kind of technical stuff. Whereas I didn't give a shit what the code looked like, what the code was doing. I just wanted to build features and I wanted it to work for the end user. So that that changed a little bit though. So when I got into AOL 3, you know, I got a lot more technical. I rewrote the whole program and basically added a shit ton more features in uh, in, in the API. So we got I got rid of send keys and completely used Windows API to to do it all. So that transitioning from from send keys to Windows API, what what did that look like? Were you collaborating with other people, or how did you pick up Windows API? So from what I remember. There were no no other programs were doing it. I realized that um, to do other things that I wanted to do, I was going to need to up my game a little bit. I was going to have to understand what was going on here with Windows. Specifically, I wanted to be able to read the AOL forms programmatically so that I could interact with them pro- programmatically. So, for instance, I wanted to be able to read the chat room, what the text was in the chat room, right? So I wanted to be able to read the text in the code and then and then be able to react programmatically based on what was happening in that code. So, you know, in order to create the AI bot, you have to you have to write the Visual Basic code in order to intercept the Windows messages that are going on in that window. And then you're able to retrieve the text. Then you can uh, parse the text and interact with it however you want to. And then I don't know if you, I don't know how um, experienced you are in the Windows code as far as like Visual Basic back then and how you had to get the window handles and send the text and all that. You remember that? Yeah, I, I definitely remember that. You would have to kind of hop from from handle to handle, the window to window, to get where you need to go. Yeah, uh, that's right. And uh, that's a funny thing you say that because I actually one of the features that I created for the third version, I accidentally found that by so there was an enumeration code where you could find all the window handles all at once. And by accident, I enumerated all AOL windows and sent them a message called a WM underscore show. So it was like an it was like a show message commanding all windows to show themselves, and suddenly all these hidden things that you don't normally see on the AOL interface showed up because I accidentally enumerated all of them and forced them to show themselves, and um, so the, the little icons that that AOL didn't intend to use started showing up on the toolbar like these little weird things you'd never see before. I'm like, whoa, what is that? I'm like, okay, well, there, how can this be useful? I'm like, well, there's nothing really useful about those icons. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, like, what if? Like when you go into a free area, what it's doing is it's just hiding all the windows. And then, you know, and then when you come out of the free area, it, un- it unhides them all. So back then, I don't know if you remember, like they had a free area on AOL. You could check your, your bills. You could do whatever that you could do in the free areas. And it, it would actually hide your chat room. It would hide your whatever else you were doing on AOL. And then when you were done exiting the free area, all of a sudden those things would reappear in the exact same state that they were in before. So it wasn't actually closing that work that you were using. It was just temporarily you know, hiding it from you while you were in the free area. So I'm like, I bet you they're just hiding those windows programmatically, just sending a hide message. So with this enumeration thing where you enumerate all windows and force it to show themselves, I thought, let's see what happens when you go into a free area after having all these other windows open and see if they'll come back after, you know, doing this procedure. And sure enough, they did. So I'd I'd load up a bunch of windows, you know, like I go into news groups and this and that, FTP sites, and then go into a free area. Sure enough, all those windows would go away. And then I'm like, okay, so then I hit the enumeration uh, procedure and then boom, everything would show up. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I, I bet you, okay, so now the question was, is AOL still charging you? Does it still think you're in a free area while you're using this, this pay window stuff? And it turned out, yeah, basically it still thought you were in a free area. They were just using this minor technique to hide it from you. And so that was, that was how we, uh, you know, I did that feature. That's really interesting. Can you tell me about the, the artwork at the beginning of AOL 3.0? Uh, 
like the, who created that? Yeah. So actually, I think I included that in version two. And so this was becoming like something that was taken on its own life. And I really wanted it to be professional and, and I wanted it to have an intro screen. Back then we had songs that would sound, you know, I you know, included Metallica and Ozzy that would play song clips of all kinds of stuff. Of course, everyone knows the, the Dr. Dre song that plays, chronic song that plays when you first start AO Hell. But there, back in the earlier versions, there were all kinds of sounds that would play, like heavy metal and all kinds of stuff. But the intro screen in particular, I went into one of the art rooms on AOL and, and I was talking to one of, the, one of the guys who hung out there and I said... Um, you know, I'm making this program. I need, I need some artwork for it. He's like, okay, yeah, I can do it for you. And I'm like, okay. So I told him what I want. I'm like, okay, I want, I want it to be like hell. I want, I want there to be like demons or Satan. I want it to be, to be fire. And I want Steve case to be like burning in hell. And I'm like, can you do that? And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I'll give it a shot. So I'm like, okay, well I'll, I'll meet you back or whatever. So I literally met him like the next day in the chat room. I met back with him and he had it and he had this for me. And I looked at it and I'm like, wow, that's, that's perfect. I mean, like, wow, that's great. And he goes, well, I'm not too happy with it because like the little thing on the side is not perfectly symmetrical and this and that. I'm like, dude, you have no idea that this is, this is absolutely perfect. Thank you very much. So that guy, um, I never saw him again. He sent me that, I, you know, I put him in the credits for AOL and, and uh, Bit, uh, Bitsmaster. Bitsmaster was his name. That was his screen name on AOL. Never met him again. And I, I don't know to this day if he ever knows what impact that had or how that was a part of anything, because it was just one guy I met one day. He sent me the file and that was it. That's really interesting. Yeah, that that uh, image is is it's phenomenal. I mean, just in terms of and then he cranked it out like in a day. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, that guy knew what he was doing. And I don't think Steve Case liked that very much. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think he liked that very much. It's funny. Like everybody talked about how much they hated Steve Case back then. It was really funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I had just an intense hatred for AOL, for Toss Advisor, for the administrators, for Steve Case. Um, I mean, it was almost an irrational hatred, but you know, I was a kid, you know, we, we both hated it and loved it at the same time. Yes, that's exactly right. I, I love the community, the hackers, the, you know, the wear scene and all that stuff. I love the kids on there. Um, all the programs that were made, you know, after AOL, like there was a little bit of a competition period where I was still making AOL and other programs were coming out and, you know, the other people were trying to outdo me and I was trying to outdo them and stuff that lasted for a few months. And, you know, there was good things and bad things about that. Um, but, you know, all the stuff that came out later, see, I left AOL in um, September of 95. And that's when I, I wrote the last beta version of AOL 3. So it was AOL 3 beta 5. And things were already going nuts by that point, really, in the, the, the buildup of that whole year from that January of 95 to September of 95. I mean, it was just so it was the kind of the explosion of the Internet as well. So it kind of happened simultaneously. AOL was just growing like huge. And then. It just so happened to be in the right place at the right time. I was passing around this hacker program that brought in all these teenagers from the teen chat rooms to become hackers and programmers. People were just belting out new programs. By the time I left, man, it was it was I couldn't keep track of them all. I mean, I, I would just go into a hack room and you know, I would just look at to see the mass mailings that people were sending out that day and, and I would see all like ten new programs that I'd never heard of before. I remember downloading one. Just because I couldn't keep up and I wasn't, I wasn't trying to keep up. You know, I just downloaded one. I remember randomly, this thing was called um, Burnout by Blue Felix. And nobody ever remembers it. People didn't even know it at that time. But I downloaded this thing and it was amazing. I mean, the guy, his interface was just phenomenal. His coding skills were great. I mean, I just remember being blown away. I'm like, wow. I mean, nobody even heard of this. I just downloaded this randomly. And here is all this work this one guy put into this program. And, you know, I was just humbled and amazed by that. I remember I was interviewed by an easing like the next year and I mentioned it to the guy who was interviewing me. And I'm like, you know, there's this, this program with Brown and he had never heard of it. You know, um, There's just, there's just, there's so much that came out of that. There really is just so much. And I'm sure you could talk about your experience and um, things that you wrote and, and, and stuff that, you know, you could talk about it for hours. I mean, there's just, there's just really so much that came from that stuff, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I think I learned the most by decompiling other people's programs and just looking at like, you know, they're, I think they're called modules. They're even called functions, like, like they're, they're modules and stuff. And 
because like my code was crap back then. Like I, I think I named my variables like Bob because mm-hmm. like I, I just was like, oh, I, I you know I can just name them whatever I want. I so I gave them like people's names and yeah. I don't know, it, but um, yeah, it's super interesting to see how like people are, are getting stuff done because there's you know there's so many different ways to do things. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, like I said, I was more I was forced to become really technical with the code. For me, I didn't care about coding so much. I didn't care about programming. It was a means to an end. I wanted to create something cool, badass. I wanted to create new features that hadn't been around before. So my coding, when you say your coding sucked, mine was really bad too. I mean, I'm not, I can't even tell you what my variable names were because, I mean, I could, but they're, they're like bad words, right? Like I would just talk <laughs> with random profanities, like number one, number two. That's uh, funny. And, and code was basically unreadable. I didn't even use functions. I would just paste the same code in every time I needed it in that one function for that, you know, for like, let's say it was a command button. Anytime, anytime I need to reuse code, I would just paste that code into the command button. And instead of actually, re- there was no sense of reuse of functionality where you make a function call. The only function calls I would use are for like APIs and stuff like that. But later, years later, I, I trained myself to become a better coder. I learned C++ and that kind of stuff. Like don't repeat yourself and those kinds of things. Well, yeah, actual coding guidelines that you're supposed to do, right? So when you released AOL 2 and 3, what was the process of releasing it uh, to get it out there? Um, so basically, it was spam. Spam didn't really exist back then. So this is, by this point, AOL 2 is like December of 94, January of 95. There really wasn't any, any spam on AOL. And so basically, I was going to say it's almost like you're, you're fishing people to get through to download your program. But I mean, it's, it's like a, it's an advertisement. So I would go into AOL chat rooms. I would write up this long email explaining all the features that AOL did. It's going to allow you to, to, to kick people offline that you don't like or kick your friends offline. It's going to enable you to scroll. You can do this. You can do that. And, you know, just, you know, all you have to do is download this program and you're set. So I would write out this email advertising and I would, I would upload the, the attachment, aol.zip. There was four beta versions for AOL 2, five beta versions for AOL 3, and each one were like a separate program, even though it was just called beta 1, beta 2. There were so many differences between each beta, so many new features. It should have been like almost a whole new version. I mean, the difference between AOL 2.0 beta 1 and AOL 2.0 beta 5 was almost like you know, it could have been AOL 5 at that point. And then AOL 3 should have, was the same thing. Each beta was just tons of new features because it was just all happening so fast. So I would attach it into these emails and I would just mass mail it to everybody, uh, to the team chat room. So basically it was like a phishing campaign when I was trying to fish for people's credit cards and passwords, except I'm targeting new member rooms that still I'm targeting team chat rooms in order to get people to download the program and ultimately come into the hacker rooms and, you know, join the community. It was... I mean, it just blew up. I mean, like I said, AOL was growing at that time. So like when you sign on to AOL in early 94, there was maybe like Teen Chat 1, Teen Chat 2. And it might go up to Teen, teen Chat 7 maybe on like a busy night, like a real busy night. A year later, like summer of 95, I mean, you had Teen Chat 53 or whatever. I mean, like, you know, because every time a room would fill, it would create a new Teen Chat room. And so the growth of AOL was just exponential. I mean, there was just so many more people on all the time. And as that was happening, AOL was being spread. Kids would download it. They were like, oh, shit, this is cool. You know, I like this, this, and this. And they would pass it to their friends. And so um, it was, yeah, it was just basically a campaign. So every new version, I'd, I'd hit the teen chat rooms, uh, mass mail it to everybody. And it wouldn't take long. It would proliferate by itself. I wouldn't even have to do it a couple a couple times. And then I would look back, you know, a couple of days later, and I would see everybody had it. That's great. So then what was AOL's response to the program? Pretty shitty. Um, they didn't like it. They they did some pretty nasty things to try to get rid of it, including having their lawyers lie about it. So as you know, if you read the README file in AOL, there is an anti-pedophile stance that I take uh, for the reason why I wrote AOL. And it was, it was true. It was one of the many reasons I wrote it, that AOL was basically allowing these child abusers to be online while they were targeting the hackers and trying to get rid of the hackers. So you tolerate child abusers, but the actual children who are just having fun, you're going to target them and kick them offline. This double standard enraged me and was one of the main motivations for making AOL. So, you know, AOL continued their, their shitty actions. So in order to get rid of AOL, they would lie. First of all, they would, they would try to brute force webmasters to take down AOL. 
So once AOL got to a certain level of popularity, it started getting known outside of AOL on the general internet. And so people who wanted to get a hold of it and didn't know how to get it on AOL, they would go to a website. So there was some guy who would have his own website. You know, this is 95, right? So this is really early, early websites. He would, he would have AOL available to download. And what AOL did and their lawyers is that they would, they would threaten these people on their websites and say, you know, this is a copyright violation, even though it was no copyright violation. They couldn't really even point to any laws that were being broken, but they would threaten with their lawyers to these website operators. And of course, website operators, they don't have, they can't fight AOL lawyers, so they would take it down. If they would try to fight it, you know, um, AOL would get really dirty. So at one point, AOL actually started lying and saying that AOL was a program used by pedophiles in order to spread pedophilia. Interesting. And they would they would say that in their documentation to these to these webmasters. And this is all documented. If you if you go and if you know, you remember what Usenet was, news groups back in the day or alt twenties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I still go on Usenet. <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, if you if you search the archives on on Usenet and you know search for AOL, you know you start looking at those old posts from back in '95 and where those webmasters were fighting this. You'll see though they 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 uh, copy and paste these legal notices that AOL was sending them, including the lies that they were spreading about it. It's really interesting history there. Huh, I did not know about that. And so did they uh, ever come after you? Um, well, I had my first contact with AOL where they, they tried to scare me, where I had uploaded, I think, AOL 3.0 beta 5, the last version I had uploaded on a fished account that I had. And usually after I, after I uploaded AOL, I would never use that account again. I would just, I would, I would make a burner account or I'd make, get a fish and I would upload AOL, pass it out, you know, mass mail it a few times. And then I would never log onto that account again in order to protect myself. Cause then they'd be watching that account. Who knows, try to chase the phone call or whatever. Well, one day I decided like after I'd uploaded AOL, one of the last versions of it, I decided to log into this fish again, like a couple of days later, maybe it was a week later. I don't know why I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. And so, but I did it anyway. I don't know why. I don't know why. I can't remember why I did it. So I log in and I get this IM. And it's not from Toss Advisor, but it's from some weird official sounding screen name. I haven't done anything. I just signed in and I get this IM just randomly on this fished account. And he goes, uh, so how's the weather there in Greensboro? And I, at the time, I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, I'm like, fuck. And I'm like, um, I said, well, it's, it's pretty good, so I hear, but I'm going through five diverters, so I wouldn't know. Ha, nice. He goes, well, he goes, well, I know you're not telling the truth because your ping's too low. And I'm like, okay, whatever, bro. And then, I, and then I signed off, and I never went I never went back on there. What a dick. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah, right? He's just like trying, trying to scare you or something, right? Yeah, and, well, and, and, he, and it worked a little bit. I mean, it did scare me a little bit. And then I thought to myself, well, if they really knew who I was, like, like he knew what node I was dialing in, right? So I was dialing into the Greensboro node on SprintNet. So he, that's how he knew my address. And that's what I figured. And I thought, well, if he really knew where I was located, then he would, um, you know, he would tell me my address or something, or I have cops at my door or something like that, right? So my nervous level really didn't get too high there. I, I knew I was underage. I knew I was a kid. I knew that I was on the right side of morality, so to speak, even though some aspects of AHO were kind of abhorrent, like not good, morally speaking, like I felt I was the good guy. And I felt like anybody who is going to look at me from a, from, from a criminal perspective, they're going to have to face the facts that AOL is a dirty machine and, you know, there's just scumbags on here and I'm just a kid fighting back against the man, you know, and so I don't care. But, but when I got close to 18, and for various reasons, not just because I was getting close to 18, I quit. I stopped making AOL. And, you know, that's a whole long story in and of itself. And there's, there's so much to say about all this stuff. But I got into a long-distance relationship with a girl and basically fell in love and, you know, had this relationship going on. And, you know, we would joke about, like, we'd hear these clicks on the phone because we'd talk, like, three, four hours a night. We'd hear, like, the little noise on the phone, little clicks. And it was kind of like a running joke that, you know, my phone was being tapped or something like that. But it was a real fear. I mean, it was a real possibility, a real fear that I had. So I think subconsciously, in order to deal with that, I kind of turned away from AOL. I kind of turned away from computers. I kind of changed the entire direction that I had been going in for the last two years and, and going on the internet, 
creating AOL, becoming a programmer. I completely changed directions. So I, here I, I, so I found this girl, kind of fell in love. And then, I, and then as far as everything else in my life, I changed directions. And I think looking back subconsciously, I was worried of possible consequences, legal consequences that could come. And, and I was also kind of burned out on it anyway. So I went for about two years where I barely even checked email. I mean, I didn't code. I didn't, I didn't, I rarely logged on to AOL. There's a, there's a hacker rooms on IRC that I would occasionally go in and talk to my buddies on there, you know, old AOL guys that had migrated to IRC and stuff. I would occasionally go in there, but I didn't, I, I, I got into cars. I got into drag racing. I, I blew up my engine. I, I bought a Mustang. I blew up my engine on that. I learned how to rebuild the motor on it. I became like, you know, kind of like a redneck. I live in the rural South. The friends that I made were guys that were not on computers you know, I kind of got a life outside of the house for the first time because I was always kind of like a loner kid. I dropped out of high school at 15, one year before you're even illegally allowed to. You know, I was very much a loner. And, and so after AOL, I, I kind of got a life outside of computers and really got, you know, kind of real friends, you know, like real life friends for the first time. And that really distracted me from any criminal consequences or me getting into more trouble by the time I turned 18. I had, I continued that track of writing programs. And, and there was a thought like, like I, I definitely had some ideas about an AOL version four and that would have taken me well past. I was 18. The ideas I had that I actually started implementing for myself were things that actually came about later that, you know, people made available later you know, without me talking to them or whatever. But, 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 but basically, it was a fear that I lived with for many years. I subconsciously kind of dealt with it by ignoring that part of my life. The friends that I made, um, they didn't know anything about computers. I would tell them, yeah, hey, you know, I'm kind of like this famous computer hacker, and I wrote this program, and da, 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 da. they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then we'd start talking about cars or girls or something like that. Like, they had no concept. My mom... She didn't have any idea. I got her onto AOL. That's how she found her husband. Uh, oh, wow. Her, her current husband, she, they've been married for 25 years. I got her on the AOL chat rooms, and, and that's how she found him. But she she has no concept of like hacking, and she doesn't understand any of that stuff. Not really curious about it. Really had nobody to talk to about it. So I kind of like changed lives. It was almost like a double life. I kind of like changed lives, and that's kind of how I dealt with it, you know? That's interesting. I think I think a lot of people like love this. You know, I know I personally did like once I got in trouble for like one of my programs and I got like grounded from the internet for a month. And so I, I got my driver's license, got a girlfriend and just, you know, kind of never look back, you know? Yeah. How did you get in trouble with it? Did your, did your parents find out about it somehow? Um, so I had I'd created a program uh, and it could, it could punt people. It could, it could punt off like entire chat rooms. And I... Nice. Posted it. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty proud of it, but it would also like you could send a room. There was like this room invite thing, and so I would interchange sending people the room invite with the special characters to lag them, and then regular IMs, and it would just lag the hell out of people, and then you know they mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. kicked off. And that's cool. I like that. Oh, and I, I, sorry. Now, if I remember, it's called it's called guide punt. It would it would kick off guides, and and so <laughs> you, you could like tally off all the guides you punted, and so like you could brag in chat rooms and stuff. And so like, <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. I would just like be a dick in a chat room, and then a guide would come in, and then I start program and kick off the guide, and then and then like yeah, you know, cause I, yeah, I thought it was great, but I, I posted it to like uh, I had a website um on, on our local ISP. And I mean, I knew I probably shouldn't have, but I was just like, it was kind of like, is anybody listening out there? And so I just kind of posted it. Um, and I, I think I put like my real like ISP's email address just to kind of see what happened. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, AOL called the ISP and threatened the FBI and stuff. And, oh, shit. Yeah. My mom worked at the ISP and she's like, you really embarrassed me at work today, Stephen. <laughs> like, what? And she's like, you're grounded That's from the funny. internet. And it's just like, and I'm like, what about the FBI? She's like, we told them to go away. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. Thanks, mom. Problem solved, right? Yeah. Um, it was kind of weird. Did that kind of end your hacking career then, or did you did you move on and do things kind of like under the table? For a while. You know, like I said, I got a driver's license, found a girlfriend, and I'd screw around in you know, AOL every once in a while. So I ended up going to uh, high school. It was like a Microsoft learning with laptops program. And there was, there was like 10 high schools in the country that had these Toshiba laptops. Like everyone in the school had a laptop. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, I thought it was great. I'd be like an IRC just in the, in the middle of the day, just like doing whatever. Um, yeah. And that sounds like what kind of school I'd like. Yeah. Or playing Grand Theft Auto, but a lot of kids at AOL. And so I would just like, I would kick football players like offline and they, they'd be like, like they, 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 they would like rage and stuff and be so mad, but they didn't know who kicked them off. And I'd be down like down right. the hallway chuckling. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's funny how like much joy we can get out of like trickery like that. I mean, Kids are, you know, just mischievous by nature. I think a lot of times. Yeah. So I don't know. It was it was interesting. But yeah, I definitely like you know I, I kind of grew up and I was out of it. But the community, I think back then that that was the really amazing part. The way you could just make, make lots of friends easily with other other kids your age and stuff. That was mm-hmm. that was really cool to have a sense of community, especially when you, if you didn't have a lot of friends like in real life, you know. Um. So right. That was pretty cool. Absolutely. I, that, that was my my door into into making friends and then kind of going outside and making quote unquote, real friends, even though the people that I made friends with on AOL, uh, I consider them, you know, real friends. I, I ended up meeting a bunch of them in real life and partying with them. You know, you know so there's Dave Soulcrusher, who was my friend who showed me fishing in the first place. And uh, he may even come up with the word fishing. Uh, we're, we're not sure exactly the actual origin, who said it first, whether it was him or me. I, he, he one time told me he, he thinks he, he called it fishing with an F. And then I I took and added the pH and then automated it in my program. I said, that's possible because I use both spellings. So we're not, we're not really sure. But, you know, Dave, there was Dave, all guys I could name, just like I'm sure you had your clique of friends that you could all name, like all the friends that you knew. I had a, a core group of like five or six people who, you know, we migrated to IRC. They, they migrated to IRC first. So they were kind of like the cool kids, right? They, I, I stuck around on AOL while they let, they went to IRC. I'm like, oh, IRC is cool, but I, there's things on AOL I want to do. So when I started writing AOL and, and doing that stuff, they kind of looked down on it. They were like, ooh, why are you even messing with AOL anymore? We're doing this Unix hacking. And, you know, I just cracked Chris.com and stole their login file with a thousand accounts. Why are you messing around with Kittyland and AOL? So it was kind of a joke because they would kind of look down on me for here I was making AOL and, you know, doing all this stuff and, and, and creating all this this chaos and, and getting all this fame, you know. And and the first friends that I met, they, they didn't even like that stuff. They were like, they didn't use AOL and they couldn't care anything about that. But but those guys, you know, I still I still talk to them. Well, the core group I haven't talked to in a few years, but, you know, we remained friends for years. We, we'd party down in, in Florida and, you know, we'd, go, we'd, we'd run out of big, beach house and uh, just party for <laughs> for two three days at the beach in florida and because we all lived in different parts of the, of the united states but we would we would meet up annually and 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 just have fun and party so make a distinction between your real friends and your online friends for me like a lot of my online friends end up becoming my real friends in real life and those are the guys i was telling you earlier who still call me cron you know um hey you know it worked that's really cool that, that that's awesome so um I, you left and you got into cars and, and drag racing and stuff. And then, but then the, the paper you wrote, it's, it's referenced by so many different places on, on the internet. And it, it, it's really interesting. It, it looks like, was that, was that written for a, a school paper or what was that? Well, it's, it's an interesting thing because I wrote it kind of cathartically. I, I needed to get it out. I, I had joined college because of course I, I eventually got my GED for the fun of it and decided to take college classes around 2009, 2010. And so I was taking these writing courses. I'd never learned how to write formally. So I was taking these English. And the, the school that I was going to was considered a, primarily a writing school. Like it, they taught you how to, how to write well. Not that I didn't know how, but I, I always wanted, I always kind of felt like that was something that I missed out on in life is going to a formal school and learning that. So yeah, I did that later in life. I was in my early 30s. And I had this thing, you know, with me that I live with. And at that time, I really wasn't even sure, like all this fishing stuff, how related it was to the AOL stuff. I knew that there was a fishing component on AOL, but I'm like, surely that it really wasn't the origin, right? And the more I looked into it, the more I realized, no, that AOL was the first place that this started. You know, the general idea of, you know, tricking people goes back to you know, the beginning of time and and beginning of computers, right? But the, the this kind of thing that we see today where you're just mass mailing people uh, this kind of way, it, it really really didn't exist before AOL. And of course, that's where the name started. And after I realized that, I, it really started freaking me out. I'm like, wow, like how, how the F is this possible? So, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a really um, long story and it's hard to explain, and especially all the feelings that I was feeling during those years, for those 15 years, and trying to find my place in the world and understand, you know, what 
this whole thing is all about, you know, life and, um, you know, just kind of get philosophical on you. So to make a long story short about why I wrote the paper, at that time, it had been 15, 16 years since I wrote AO Hell. I was learning about the fishing stuff and I really needed to like come out. Like I really needed to just let it out. Like who, who, who did this? Who am I? You know, why I did this? What happened? Who's responsible? And if you notice, I mean, I didn't create Twitter accounts or like social media. I wasn't trying to get fame for it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, do interviews with people trying to, trying to get my name out there. I, I wasn't interested in any of that. I didn't care. I don't, I don't care about any of that. You know, I'm not, I'm not a materialistic person, but I wrote it solely to get it out of my, my heart, to, to just let it out, to just, because it was kind of like this dark thing that was living inside of me that I could never talk about. I mean, for years, I couldn't tell people who I really was. I mean, I could joke about it with a friend who had no idea what AOL was, but I couldn't seriously risk my freedom by like applying to a job and saying, Hey, I wrote this famous hacker program. You should hire me, you know, and pay me lots of money because I, I, I couldn't do that. And I didn't want to work for the man anyway, but let's just decide the point. But so there was this thing building up inside of me and I, that writing that paper was basically letting it out kind of just like saying, okay, this is who I am. This is what I did for whatever, whatever comes of it. I didn't try to publish it in a, in a journal, you know, yeah, but I so it, it definitely got referenced. Though it's really weird if you look at how many different places, like a lot of sites, referenced it. Did did um, uh, people contacting you um, after you wrote it? Yeah. So a weird thing happened is that the so MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, they have this magazine called the MIT Review, and they had I think they still runs, but every every week or every month they they review all the new papers, the preprint papers that get put up on archive. And they kind of like look through them and see what the best ones are. And then they, on their blog, they post which ones they think are the best new preprint papers. And I didn't even realize that they had read my paper and they had put it up on their blog as one of the best papers released that week or that month. I can't remember what it was. I think it was that week. So along with like 10 other papers. So it was listed as one of the best. Well, I didn't know about it until I got contacted by a journalist for, I think it was Gawker. And he, he said, you know, Hey, I noticed that your paper was referenced on MIT. Would you like to talk about it? Da, 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 da. I'm like, whoa. So I, I looked at the website and I noticed that. So, I mean, the, the reason why I think it's referenced now, actually, I'm surprised it's not referenced kind of more because it kind of like is like, the. I mean, it, it explains the origins of where the word came from, at least if not, you know, the, the birthing of the whole phenomenon itself. But it, I think that's why is it, well, MIT brought it some exposure and then, just the fact that if you want to know, I mean, it's the truth. It's the, it's where it's where the term came from. It's where fishing came from. And I think enough people read it and could see for themselves. Okay, this guy's telling the truth. This is legit. Like you know, the screenshots. You could if you if you wanted to verify the screenshots, you could go and find old versions of AOL, and you could you could search the executable for the word fishing. So you could. I don't know if you can anymore, but you used to be able to Google AOL.zip and download one of the archived copies that exist uh and i think there still might be uh, repositories that still hold it i don't know i haven't checked in a while but you could you could download aol install it at least on a windows 95 computer i don't know about windows xp but you know you can install it um or extract it and search the executable and see for yourself that the word phishing is inside the executable right it's not mangled right like it's, it's in plain text so I mean, it's it's the truth. So if people want to know, I think enough people who are interested in fishing and who under, want to understand the origins of it, I mean, they think that they, they just recognize that that's, I mean, that's the real deal, you know, and I think that's why it gets referenced, you know, it, and for me, there was, there was like a struggle between feeling shame, feeling like, I, you know, everybody wants to have a positive impact on the world and wants to be remembered for something positive. And I thought I had done that when I was a kid. When I got fame and stuff for AO Hell, I thought, yeah, this is my mark on the world. This is badass. This shows that I'm a badass and I just, you know, and, and, and F these people, F AOL, F the man, F the government. You know, I helped all these kids out, got them free AOL, helped create this, this community. And I felt really proud of myself. I didn't have an ego about it. I didn't. But I, I felt like I made my mark on the world and I got the fame from it. So, I mean, I remember traveling to California and meeting people I'd never seen before and they knew who I was. They just knew who I was. They didn't believe me. They're like, well, what are you doing here? Da, 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 da. And of course, you know, I had, but I lived a, a double life where I couldn't really come out with who I was. And so it was kind of like this kind of like double life. Well, as I got older and I, 
you know, became more mature and I, and I, my, my ideas of the world expanded in my ideas of morality and, and, and what's right and wrong. And, uh, you know, they've become more sophisticated. I haven't changed at my core, but the, my ideas are different now. And if, if I were to, if I were to do something really cool again, it would be in the same kind of spirit, but it wouldn't be, you know, where innocent people are going to be caught up in it. You know what I mean? And so when I, when I came out with the fishing paper, I had to come to terms with that. You know, I had to come to terms with the fact that this, you know, even though I, you know, I didn't create fishing, as like, like fishing would still exist if I wasn't around, right? You know, they would call it something differently. You know, um, the general form would still be around, even though, so I had a part to play, but my ideas of my, my old ideas of like, oh man, I, you know, I, I was part of history. I did something good. I really struggled with that because that was taken away as I, as I became older and I realized that there's all this bad stuff that comes with it. You know, the innocent people got hurt by it. Lots and lots of innocent people got hurt by it, not just on AOL, but just, you know, through the, throughout the years, you know, that I played a part in all that. So that's something that I, that I struggle with. So getting that paper out, you know, like I said, it was, it was cathartic. And at that moment, I was I was still struggling with that transition into, yeah, I'm proud of what I did, you know, and to to coming to a, a more sophisticated, I guess, understanding of it or a more mature understanding of it where I see, OK, all the damage that it caused. It's not something I would do again in that way. I have compassion for the people that are hurt by this. And like that ego stuff, that ego stuff that I got from it, like all oh, the fame and like the being proud of, of, of doing something cool, like that doesn't even, that doesn't really matter. Like I know what my, like my, my capabilities are. I know I'm, I'm a decent person and that's all that really matters um, for that. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's a long, it's a long story. I could, I could talk forever about, you know, what my life was like and the transition and, and worrying about the police and, and then finally, you know, dealing with the, the, the fishing stuff um, and, and the, kind of like the, what it was like to to read your name in magazines, like uh, getting the fame, all that stuff. I could talk for hours about that stuff. And it's, it's been an interesting, interesting experience for me. But I, I think I think I'd like I'd like to hear more from other people, though, that were in that community because I, I left in late 95. And really, that was almost the beginning of it for most people. That community grew so much from 95 all the way into the end of the 90s. I mean, I, I don't think people really understand, at least I don't think I even understand the extent to which, you know, that grew into such a huge community, the hacker community, the wares community on AOL, how many people were involved. I mean, just by the sheer number of programs, I mean, probably hundreds of programs, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. It's incredible how much it grew and then all the different whereas groups, like the free whereas movement. And then I think a lot of people did migrate to IRC eventually, but I think it, it inspired a lot of people to want to learn how to create their own program. And some of them you know, ended up making a career of that, right? They, they either getting into information security or getting into like being a developer and, and that kind of thing. And I think that being able to inspire people, um, I think it, that's certainly one of the, if you think about like some of the, the positive things that I think that came out of AOL, I, I think that you would, you would inspired a, a generation of, of teenagers to want to, want to create their own programs. Right. And there was thousands of them. And so I think uh, that was really cool. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm underestimating, I was going to say a couple hundred programs, but yeah, it's gotta be more than that. Probably like in the thousands, you think? Definitely. Programs? definitely. You, you, you can look online and um, there, there's certain websites, I think like, it's like Lens Hell or something. There's a number of them. You, you can just go there and, and see them. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all out there. <laughs> I don't know. But there's a lot of like, you know, it's just simple ones and stuff. Some people that they, they still don't program today, but they had a, they had a really good time back then. Just, just making programs. I don't know. Yeah. And, and if you think, okay, well, those are the people making programs. And, and most people who were involved in that community weren't programmers. They were people just, you know, trading software or hanging out with their friends I mean, like the programmers were kind of like a subset of the whole community, right. right? Not everybody made their own program, although it sometimes seemed like that. Like there were a lot of a lot of people that didn't make their own programs. So if you try to figure out, okay, if there were thousands of programs, then when you try to figure out the total population of everybody, including the people that were just using the programs and not actually writing them, you might be talking about tens of thousands of people at that point. Who knows? You know, I, I mean, people that you know, even people like Mark Zuckerberg, he came from the AO, that community. 
Um, he was a he was a hacker who wrote his own AOL type program. Nobody knew about it, and the evidence came out for that like in 2011. A fader or something. <laughs> yeah, the Vader fader, I think it was called. Vader fader. And then Steve Chase, he did a Ask Me Anything on Reddit. You know how they do those those threads? Yeah. And uh, somebody somebody made a so like a funny comment to Steve Case saying, "Hey, would you forgive me if I told you I used AOL back in the day?" And uh, he responded, and he said, "You know, it's funny you say that because Mark Zuckerberg, when I met him, you know, he told me he was a he was a hacker on AOL, and that's how he got his start." And da da da. So um, you know, Steve Case kind of added to that. I'm, I'm not even I'm not even like the most famous person to come from that. Like like I'm nobody, right? Like this guy's a 200 billionaire, you know, creator of Facebook and he started from that same community, and I, I'm not proud of that, though. If I had anything to do with that, I, Facebook's not something that I'm, uh, I, I like too much. But um, I am on there with my family. I log in maybe like once every couple of weeks just to just to keep tabs on things. But um, no, you're right, though. I mean, I think that is a positive thing, like that whole community and, and, and people who learn how to program. Yeah, and just just the community. I mean, just being able to make friends and having a common interest and being able to to, to, to share and, and and you know everything that's that a community involves. Um, that that was a positive aspect because I mean those kids. I mean, just like you. I mean, I can tell you like they're not they're not criminals, you know. I mean, yeah, they, you might have used a credit card online, you know, to, to build some you know build some stuff uh, to get free access or so. But I mean, like you weren't really stealing. I mean, pirating software. Like that's, you know, you're just trading software. You're, you're talking to your friends. You're making cool stuff. You know, you're getting AOL for free, which should be free anyway, $20 a month. So like, uh, you know, I, I see that aspect of it for sure. I see that aspect of it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else uh, you want to share about during that time? Um, yeah, just lots of stuff. You, you know, I could, I could talk for hours and hours about this. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll, um, we'll do another one of these or something, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought up that positivity part, you know, like, and, and then your story about learning the program and that kind of stuff. I mean, we all just kind of learn from each other. And, um, and, and there really was, there really was a positive aspect to that stuff. And, and that does make me feel good to think about. Yeah, definitely. The, the collaboration, uh, I think was really, really key during that time to be able to, be able to work with others um, and, and figure things out is always pretty exciting. That kind of community doesn't, at least I haven't found it. Uh, these days, it, it was a different time back then. Nowadays, you probably would not go into a chat room. If you did, it would probably just be a bunch of jerks, right? I don't, yeah. It, it's hard. I mean, there's some certain, like, sub, like, I think Discord's kind of, like, one of the newer things. And there are some communities for specific uh, niches and stuff that I, I, I think that, you know, people will collaborate on. But mm-hmm. other places, it's just, like, the regular terrible internet, you know? Right, yeah. And everything's privatized now. So, um, you know, Discord, everything, those are kind of like private servers, right? It's not like IRC where you have, like, you know, a public network. It's kind of like you, they can ban you if they don't like what you're saying, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the internet just in general has changed. So you say that like, the community back then was was more open and, and exciting. And uh, I think in general, the whole internet was kind of like back then felt like this, you're on the edge of something really cool and, and, and the vibe was different for sure. For sure. And plus we were kids. So when you're a kid, you're open to everything and you're ready to start something new. It's different when you're older. Yeah, that's certainly true. What's really interesting, I was looking into some of the stuff like the FBI was doing back then and they were like, they actually were doing some stuff um, about the pedos and there is some prosecution that occurred and stuff, but, and they had, they had actually had a program that ran an AOL's network that would sniff all traffic. Oh, wow. But they were only permitted to look for specific kinds of packets. So if they had like an order on someone's screen name, then they could pull the chat logs, but otherwise they weren't allowed to review the logs and AOL had a policy where they wouldn't look at them. It's kind of interesting. I mean, they, they were doing some stuff when like, I think maybe when you and I look, I look back at it, it looks like they were doing nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. But there was some action that was taken. But I certainly agree that it should have been a whole lot more. But it's like, you know, AOL doesn't really have the incentive. Right. It's like they're, they're trying to make money. And it's like, it's like oh, are we going to waste time, like, you know, looking for these pedos? Or are we going to stop the hackers who are like taking away from our bottom line? They're like, oh, of right. course, bottom line, not pedos. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Like, this is what's wrong with corporate America. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. I didn't know that about the feds. Uh, for me, it was the fact that they would just close down the hacker room. And, you know, we hadn't changed the private rooms yet. So we all we had were the hacker public rooms at that time. And so when they came and closed one down. Like it sucked because we'd all have to like scurry back into a new room. We'd have to create a new room and get right back into that. And then it was like kind of restarted everything for us. Like, cause they would do it like twice a day. And so, 
Yeah, and then and you'd you'd go and you'd see that these 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 kind of predatory child child molesting rooms were still open after they closed your room down, and it's like, okay, you know, what the hell's going on here? But I have good good memories of AOL in a lot of respects, and uh, made a lot of friends there. There's a lot of fond memories from that time, and it's it's just amazing to me just to hear other people's stories and just how just how big it got, you know, it really is. Cause I mean, I have my little group of friends. I'm no, I'm not more special than anybody else in that, in that sense. Like, you know, I mean, I have my story that goes with it, but there's so many stories that people can tell about how they got into programming, about what their groups of friends were. Like when you start, start talking about like the features that you made about the mass punter, like I never even heard of that before. I mean, that's so, that's so cool. You know, and there's so many stories like that, of, you know, where people can talk about their experiences. And that's that's why I, I'm glad you're doing this podcast. I mean, I think it's I think it's cool. Cool. Yeah, thanks. I think that um, this will hopefully be the most popular episode. I don't know if you checked out the, the AOL, um, there's like a Facebook group on AOL. It's called like AOL Proggies. Or sorry, not AOL. It's on Facebook. Um, it's called AOL Proggies. Um, I, think, I think I sent you the link, but uh, you should check it out. There's a lot, a lot of people from that time are on there. You know, actually, I did hear about that before and kind of like keep on low profile. So like, I, it's like one of these things where I want to participate, but yet I feel weird and kind of shy in a, in a certain weird sense. So, but, but I'll, I'll check it out and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe start up a conversation with some people. Yeah, right on. I think that uh, you're, you're certainly a, a legend to a lot of people from that time, especially uh, in that group. So yeah, I'll send you the link again. Uh, certainly uh, check it out. What, what are you up to these days? For most of the last 10 years, I, I work as a contractor at home. It's not really technical work, but I, I work with search engines and I've done it part-time for most of the last 10 years, just, just contracting out and, you know, it, it pays my bills. I'm somebody who's really interested in, in kind of having free time and, and doing what I like to do outside of work. And so I live, I live pretty inexpensively. I live in the rural South. It's really cheap to live. So I really don't have to work that much, you know, in order to, to pay the bills. I really spent like a whole lot of time after AOL and in, in kind of just self-education, you know, just reading. I, I mean, I used to read 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, books, magazines, uh, newspapers. I really spent a substantial amount of my life in self-education kind of like a hermit, you know, just kind of like, you know, just self-studying in a little monk hut, kind of just, just learn about the world. And, you know, so I'm in my 40s now. I'm 43. I'm going to be 44 next year. And uh, they say 40 is the new 25. So. Huh. Yeah, totally. All right. I don't want to keep you too long. We've been shut it for quite a while. Thanks a ton for coming on today and sharing your story. I think a lot of people have really wanted to know the, the kind of story behind uh, AO Health. So, so thank you. Yeah, well, um, I hope people were curious about it. You know, if, if anybody wants more information, my email address is out there. Feel free to post it on the um, on the link. I'm always happy to answer questions. I'm not always very responsive on emails right away. But, you know, I, I try to check my main email every once in a while and I'll be more than happy to, to talk with anybody. And, you know, thank you for this opportunity. You know, I've never really done an interview like this and explain things and, if, and uh, it's something I've wanted to do. So I appreciate the opportunity. A friend of mine told me, try America online. I said, why?